coming up on this week's podcast. But what we gain from these psalms is we start to understand what a real relationship with God is not sugarcoating things, that it's okay to say to God, God, I'm struggling with this, I don't like this, I wish you would do that, or I'm having trouble in this sort of way. And so what we learn is that the Psalms teach us how to have a, a worship relationship with a personal God. Stay tuned for more. And welcome to another New Hope Chapel podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a vibrant church committed to biblically-based teaching, often focusing on discovering the Jewish roots of the faith. You can find out more about our church at newhopechapel.org. Now, here's Justin Hibbard with today's message. All right, well, we are, uh, we are on our sermon series on the Psalms, and we're just taking a number of different Psalms and talking about them, and I guess, you know, if, if you were to ask me, well, what's the purpose of the Psalms? What do we learn from the Psalms? Well, a lot of what we learn is how to worship. Uh, some beautiful Psalms out there, like the one we looked at last week, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, the mountains proclaim his handiwork. You know, how about some of the other ones, some of your favorites that, that may ring out? Praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his presence, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, Psalm 150. One of my favorite psalms. Or um, how about enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Perhaps one of my favorite psalms. Better is one day in your courts and a thousand days elsewhere. I'd rather be a gatekeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the courts of the wicked. A wonderful reminder there. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after thee. These are all fantastic psalms that elevate the Lord, exalt him, and we learn how to worship with some of these great psalms that we've now incorporated into our own music. And this morning I'd like to take a look at Psalm 39 with you, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me there. Not not a very popular psalm, not one that you may have memorized, probably not one that we would ever sing about. But let's take a look at Psalm 39. This is the Psalm of David. He says, I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth while in the presence of the wicked. So I remained utterly silent, not, given, not even saying anything good. But my anguish increased and my heart grew hot within me. While I meditated, the fire burned. And then I spoke with my tongue. Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my, of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Surely everyone goes around like a mere phantom. In vain they rush about, heaping up wealth without knowing whose it will finally be. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Save me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of fools. I was silent. I would not open my mouth. For you are the one who has done this. Remove your scourge from me. I am overcome by the blow of your hand. When you rebuke and discipline anyone for their sin, you consume their wealth like a moth. Surely everyone is but a breath. Hear my prayer, Lord. 
Listen to my cry for help. Do not be deaf to my weeping. I dwell with you as a foreigner, as a stranger, as all my ancestors were. Look away from me that I may enjoy life again before I depart and am no more. Not really the uplifting song you were hoping for, huh? (laughs) You know, we have to remember that a lot of these psalms were written by David. And uh, a lot of the purposes of the psalms were for temple worship, and not just from David, from the sons of Kor and some of these others. And so these were meant to be sung in the church. Now, could you imagine singing that one at church on a Sunday morning? Uh, you know, David is not, he's not the first worship leader. He's not the last worship uh, writer, I should say. There were a number uh, spanning way back when. And even in today's time, we hear of like Matt Redman and Chris Tomlin. These are guys who write music. And then that music is sung on Sunday mornings at our corporate worship service. And so it was the same with David. And you think of some of the others in more recent history, like J.S. Bach or George Friedrich Handel. That was their job. They were paid to write worship music. So you'd come in on a Sunday morning, and there you're hearing this new music that was very symphonic and written over the week or in weeks past. But a, a psalm like this, I mean, God, take away the scourge. You're killing me. You know, I mean, could you imagine this? <laughs> Or like some of the other ones that David writes, like, um, destroy my enemies. Could you imagine, like, God, take my boss out in a car accident? You know, like, (laughs) I I can't imagine singing some of these psalms. And I'm not sure they're meant to be taken literally. Hopefully, none of us have prayed for the demise of our bosses or someone that has caused us grief and agony and been a, a thorn in our flesh. But David writes some of these psalms. And, I, and, and there, is, there is some importance in studying even these ones that seem rather harsh. Because, you know, I think sometimes we think of corporate worship and we associate corporate worship with corporate happiness. But a lot of times we don't feel happy when we come to worship God. Maybe we've had an argument with our spouse in the car. Maybe we just got done disciplining our kids. Maybe we had a bad week at work. And so coming and seeing how great is our God or uh, give thanks to the Lord our God and King, his love endures forever. Sometimes we don't feel that way. Apparently David didn't feel that way when he wrote this psalm. But what we gain from these psalms is we start to understand what a real relationship with God is not sugarcoating things, that it's okay to say to God, God, I'm struggling with this, I don't like this, I wish you would do that, or I'm having trouble in this sort of way. And so what we learn is that the Psalms teach us how to have a, a worship relationship with a personal God. How to have a worship relationship with a personal God. Let me begin by asking you this question. Who do you go to when you are struggling with something, when you're overwhelmed with something, when something's not going well? Who do you go to when you're feeling sick or you're tired or... or, or Maybe there's something wrong physically with you. How many of you guys go to the MVA, pull a ticket, and wait in line when they call your number? You go up and you're like, you know, I'm having a really bad week. Turns out my boss yelled at me. All of my reports should have had these cover sheets on them. Things are not going very well. I'm, uh, uh, I have this rash here. Could you take a look at it? You know, like, you probably don't do that because the MVA doesn't care. And you know they don't care, so that's why you make that as short and painless as possible. Who do we go to? Well, who we go to to talk about our problems, to talk about our pain, 
says a lot about what we think about that person. If we, we go to the person that's going to sympathize with us, don't we? We don't go to someone that isn't going to listen. You probably turn to a friend that cares about you if you're going to talk about some of the problems that you have. Or you, you go to a doctor that you know has a chance of healing you. You don't go to the one that just seems to be unsuccessful. You always go, you go to the one that you think can help you the most. Well, David, we see, is turning to God. And sometimes we turn to God as our last resort when really he should be our first resort. It's okay to go to doctors. It's okay to talk to other people. But how often do we approach the Lord first and say, here's what's going on? Well, what, we, what, what David demonstrates is he demonstrates a theology. I was driving down the road and I, and I read the sign at a church. It said, religion is not what you preach Religion is what you live. And in that regard, what we see is that expressing this agony and prayer or expressing um, the frustrations of life or expressing the good things as well as the hard things expresses a theology that we believe God is personal and omnipotent. We believe that he is a sympathetic God, that he is one that sympathizes with us, which Hebrews tells us, but also one that, is, that can solve the problem that can heal, that can bring about a solution. So how we come to God, if we come to God, that demonstrates, it lives out that theology. So the question is, do we do that? Is he our last resort? And what does that say about our belief? Or is he our first resort? And what does that express about what we truly believe, who God is, and what he says he will do? Secondly, honesty is important in the relationship, in any relationship. And I would venture to say how honest we are with somebody demonstrates how close we are to them. Have you ever gone down the hall at work and you know you, you give your typical greeting like, how's it going? And someone, you, unexpe- unexpectedly, someone you're not really close to just starts talking about everything, like all their problems. Like actually it's going really bad this week, I'm having a really bad week and this is going on and that's going on. And you're like, Okay, note to self, change the question next time. (laughs) Or just a simple hello will do, right? Because you're not close to them and you're not expecting that honesty. And if they were to ask you, and when they ask you, how's it going? Your typical response is, oh, it's going good, fine. Or you just respond, how's it going back? But the real relationships are how honest we are with that person. And it's important, and David demonstrates that honesty means coming to God and being open and saying, God, this is really how I feel. This is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm going through. You might ask the question, well, why do we have to be honest with God? Doesn't he already know what's going on? Well, a couple of months ago, I experienced something new in parenting, and that is my, uh, Analia did something uh, bad. Actually, that's not totally new. Sometimes she does that. But it was bad enough that my wife called me at work and said, hey, just so you know, this is what Analia did. And I've already punished her, but you may need to talk about grounding and things like that. So I, so I came home. And before I went into that, I just said, Analia, I want you to tell me what you did today. And she didn't want to tell me. She said, I don't want to tell you, Daddy. And so I sat her down and I said, I said, Analia, I want you to know something. I want you to know that no matter what you tell me, I will not stop loving you. There's nothing you could possibly say that will change how I feel about you. And so she told me what she had done, and then we talked about 
the consequences and why she shouldn't have done that. And we talked it through and it was good and healthy. But, you know, sometimes we withhold certain things from the Lord because I think we're afraid to talk to him. I mean, it's just like the Garden of Eden. God's saying, where are you? And we're kind of hiding because we don't want to be honest. But I think honesty is really important. And honesty is the good things that the Lord is doing, but also the hard things to say, you know what, God, I don't like this. God, this is going on, and I, I, he can handle it. He can handle it. But that's a part of honesty. And the, the more honest we are, the more willing we are to be close to him. Third point I want to make today is expressing to God our everyday needs and frustrations and pain develops a reliance on him, a good reliance. There's a lot of things I don't deserve in this world. At the top of the list is grace, and right under that is my wife. I'd say that to tell you a story. When I was a sophomore in college, um, Carlene and I, we started to like each other. And we had grown up together going to camps and things like that for many years. And so we knew each other. We had a good friendship. And right about the time, right about that time of sophomore year, we realized there might be a little bit more than friendship kind of coming out. And we were like, there's a little spark there. But I had actually sort of started a relationship back on campus in New York, and she was living in Minnesota. And so I had to make the choice whether to go date this girl that was on campus or to date Carlene. And of course, like any kid, you put a piece of cookie in, there in front of them and you say, you can have the small cookie now, or big cookie after dinner. I chose the small cookie, right? I chose the immediate gratification. It's human nature. <laughs> and we can see how wise that decision was and how that turned out for. <laughs> but so I started dating this girl on campus in New York. And Carlene and I, we still maintained a really good friendship. And we talked about things. And I had also said something. I said, the next girl I date, I want to marry. Now, that's the stupidest thing anyone could ever say because it's like, it's like having an interview and saying, the next person I interview, I'm going to hire. You know, without even like, I mean, that's the purpose of dating is to figure out if this is the right person for you. And so here, this girl and I, we had lots of different problems. We just weren't meshing. We weren't, we didn't see things eye to eye. And uh, it was just a really rough relationship. But because I had put this arbitrary marriage thing on it, I was really trying to push something that was never going to happen or that should never happen. And, um, and Carlene, one day, and we would talk and everything like that, and, and one day we're talking on the phone and Carlene says, hey, i got to thank you for your relationship with this girl. I'm like, that's kind of a sadistic thing to say. And she said, no, actually, I've really been praying for you guys and really been praying for the Lord's hand in your life. I told you I didn't deserve her. So, um, and she said, she said, I, I've been really praying for you guys, and because I've been praying so much for you, I've drawn closer to the Lord. And that meant a lot to me. Because here, here, and she's demonstrating exactly what David demonstrates. He's praying for something that's difficult, that's hard, but yet, in doing so, drawing closer to the Lord. I, I've realized something about myself. You, you ever realize something? You're like, how you deal with certain situations as situations as you go on in your life and you're like, oh, that's, that's how I, I'm figuring myself out. Well, one of the things I, I'm starting to figure out about myself is how I deal with stress. And I've had a lot of it this year. 
And my stress isn't like workload. Workload to me isn't much of a stress. It's things that I can't control that are the stressors in my life. And so what will happen is I'm a night owl. So I'll go to bed at 11.30, 12 o'clock, 12.30 generally. My head hits the pillow, I'm out. But then at like 3.30, 4 o'clock, 4.30, I wake up and I can't breathe, and my head is spinning, and all I can do is think about these situations that are going on, and I'm replaying them in my head and everything like that, and and suddenly I realize this about myself, and I realize that this isn't healthy. This is not good. And so one of the things I've had to discipline myself to do is that when those situations come up, instead of mulling over them in my head, take them to the Lord and pray about them. And say, God, this is what's going on in my life. He already knows what's going on. But in a sense, what I'm doing is I'm relieving, I'm, I'm taking that off of my shoulders and putting on to him. Those who, who see counselors or therapists understand this principle of it's important to talk to the Lord about these things. And when we do that, we are, we are putting our burdens and we're giving them to him. We're giving him permission to work with it. We are developing a reliance on him. And that reliance is not a bad reliance. There's a lot of things we can develop um, addictions to. Developing an addiction to talking to God is probably the best addiction we could possibly have, the most healthy addiction. And that's what he wants from us. Even though we may feel like, God, I feel like I'm always coming and complaining and talking about my problems to you. You know, that's, that's okay. God can handle that. You know, I think, of, um, I think of Helen. And for those of you who don't know or have met her in the past, I mean, here's a, a modern-day Job. And um, we need to be in prayer for her. We need to um, help her in any way possible. I know there's a meal train that's set up. Um, Andrea Nebia is taking the lead on that. But here's someone that, that clings to the Lord in this deep, deep, painful suffering that she has. And a real testimony... I think to me, a real testimony of those who, who suffer before the Lord, you know, develop that reliance on God because we all have our struggles in life. Well, I want to turn just to one, one last thing here. And I'd like us to turn to verse 7. One of my, I think, a highlight of this, of this passage. I'm going to look at the NASB here. It says this, But now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is is in you. For what do I wait? Or what do I look for? My hope is in you. Well, that verb, I wait, has become a very special word for Carlene and I. It is the word kava. It is the Hebrew word kava. And the Hebrew word kava can mean to wait. It can also mean to hope. For those of you that know Spanish, you know it's the same word, to wait or to hope. And Terry reminded me of this word, word as we were going through a lot of the stuff this summer about this word kava. And she also reminded me or told me that the word, there's a third meaning to this word. And I think it's what defines this word. And that is that it means a binding together. So the idea is when we wait for something, those of you who who know the, the verse, they who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount as wings, on wings as eagles. They'll walk and not be weary. They'll run and not grow faint. Well, the idea there of waiting on God is not just arbitrarily waiting for something. It's teaming up with God. It's drawing closer to the Lord. When there's something that's going on in our life, the, the anxiety and the frustrations and the pains and the sorrows of life, 
It's a time to grow closer to the Lord instead of looking to ourselves. I'm thinking, I think uh, primarily of Abraham and Sarah on this. God gave them a promise, didn't say when that promise would happen, said it to them, it was an impossible promise that they would have a son. And so what did Sarah do? Sarah says, you know what, Abraham, why don't you go and, and sleep with Hagar and then you'll have a son. Well, that's not what God had in mind. Instead of, instead of um, binding together with the Lord, Sarah took things in her own hands. And we're still fighting wars today because of that decision. Can you imagine that? But rather, when there is that promise, that hope, that expectation, we, we team together with God. We draw closer to him. You know, I'm not really sure when Psalm 39 was written or why it was written. We just see some of these. We can infer some of these frustrations that David experiences here. And I don't know if Psalm 39 was written a few weeks before Psalm 40. I don't know that. But take a look at Psalm 40, if you will. We do know that David had some real trials in his life. We can go through and list some of them. I mean, there were amazing trials, amazing frustrations. You think of a king. And some of the things he had to go through, some things with his children, some things, uh, just uh, all sorts of stuff. And we do know that he had trials, and we do know that he had triumphs in his life. But Psalm 40 says this, I waited patiently for the Lord. There's that word, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. What a wonderful testimony that here's a guy who struggled with all sorts of different things. We see he's very candid about his struggles. He writes about his struggles. He offered them as psalms to be sung in the temple about his struggles. But then he also writes of his great triumphs. He says, many will see and put their trust in in God. My prayer for us is that as we walk with the Lord, that we are honest with Him. And as we're honest with Him, we live out a testimony, a theology that says, I really believe God is who He says He is, and that He can do what He says He can do. And I'm going to come to Him first because I really believe in this. And then live that life out. Let others see that life. Let them see the real struggles of our life. We have them all. But also let them see when God answers our prayer and brings us up from the mud and the mire and puts our feet on solid rock. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. New Hope Chapel is a vibrant ministry in Arnold, Maryland. We are a Christ-centered church with biblically-based teaching focused on the Jewish roots of the faith, and committed to helping each person discover and use their spiritual gifts. If you're in the area, we would love for you to come and visit. You can find out more information about our church at newhopechapel.org. Subscribe to the New Hope Chapel podcast on iTunes, and you'll get the next podcast in your sleep. New Hope Chapel.